Welcome back to Thinking About It. I'm Bob McGregor. And I'm Stan Fowler. And today we are thinking, as we quite often do, about uh, ministry and local church. We're, we're both uh, working within churches, pastoral experience. And uh, we can both probably recount time, Stan, when we have uh, fought battles that we regret entering into. Uh, waste of time in the long uh, term didn't really matter, but uh, there we were. And so I think it would be good for us to talk about, for the sake of younger men in ministry, uh, who are zealous, who have a lot of energy to give, and to give some kind of guidance as to how to determine uh, what issues, and there's no shortage of them, what issues uh, are hills to die on. And we've seen some of that in, our, in, in the recent months here. I think it's a worthwhile conversation to have, and so maybe uh, you can... Give us some insight on that. Well, uh, I'll get us get us going on that one anyway. Um, yeah, the I mean the phrase "hill to die on" that, that's a phrase many of us have used for a long, long time. It's finding the right hills to die on is the title of a recent book by by a really terrific young pastor theologian, Gavin Ortland. I had the chance to meet Gavin a couple of years back at Evangelical Theological Society. Wonderful guy. Um, so he, he's working with the, the concept that others have called theological triage. In other words, how do, we, how do we separate out those doctrines which are absolutely crucial to Christian faith from, let's say, doctrines that, that aren't about whether you can be considered a true Christian, but, but they may be significant enough for, uh, to be defined uniformly in a local church or in a denomination versus other theological questions that uh, good people differ on. We don't see the Bible going in the same direction on it. But it doesn't really look like a problem to work together, either locally or denominationally. So how do we decide those? And and I think the for for most of us, the the big issue becomes... How do we separate out number two and number three? In other words, let's move beyond you know what's absolutely required to be a Christian to what about doctrines where we admit good people differ and and to what extent do we need uniformity on on those? You and I have talked uh, before about I mean one of those one of the hot button issues uh, still is in North American evangelicalism relates to women in church office. Good people differ on the question. It's not a debate between those who believe the Bible mm-hmm. and those who don't. It's, it's, it's a, among evangelicals, it's a difference of opinion about how we put the whole Bible together on that. And, and so at one level, you know, I, I, would, I would like to say this, this is not about the heart of the gospel, but I wish we could stay together, but at a practical level, mm-hmm. it's very, very difficult to work together um, in the church with with significant difference of opinion on that point. I remember here at Grandview, um, we were not, in my opinion, uh, honest with people, or at least clear with people. Uh, we we have a position that is complementarian. You look at our church, there's no female elders, for instance. What's up with that? And I think that, that 
that deserves an explanation. It it shouldn't be that people are asking. We should be upfront with that. And I know it's contentious, and um, I believe that that's a hill that we need to to be clear on and come what may. I think there were people who, uh, at that point when it was clarified by you, you you dedicated a Sunday. I think it was a Sunday evening or a Sunday morning to that. It was a Sunday morning, actually. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Actually, I don't know if I was there. I, I was I there. I, I don't know. But <laughs> I, I, I actually that might have happened uh, during some restrictions, and and actually uh, you weren't here. But uh, so it was dealt with, and and it was a hill that some people said, I can't, I don't want to be part of this church. Other people said, I love this church. I'm glad someone finally made some clarity on it. But it was not just a usual doctrinal teaching. It was one with consequences. And I think a lot of us are inclined, just don't deal with it. Why do we have to deal with it? And it's just a messy, and in my view, deals a little bit with integrity. Um, if you don't explain why you're doing things, then don't do those things or explain them, that kind of thing. And so this is a good conversation to have. I think that's crucial. Um, I think the, that particular issue, uh, the women in church office, is one in which what, what, we, what I have learned the hard way, I think, in experience is if we, if we stay together, if, we are, if, if we're in union in the church, uh, while we we affirm diversity on that point, what the the attempt to to manifest unity actually is counterproductive because in the end, it keeps coming up as a question, and and, and what you know we we what we do in the way of union in in the interest of unity actually produces disunity because it's kind of a constant irritation and and as as you and I have said at in terms of a local church mm-hmm. you, you you can live with diversity of opinion on that question as we do, but you can only have one policy you you have to say this is this is where we really think the evidence goes and and at the level of practical reality it's important enough we're going to have to divide that's a little i think like. It's not a little like, it's very much like the whole question of baptismal practice in terms of should we baptize only confessing believers or or should we baptize the infant children of confessing believers as well? Good people differ on that question. And, and there are a couple of evangelical denominations that have a dual practice commitment. But, but I've heard from leaders... In, in the Evangelical Free Church, for example, which is dual practice, they say what it, it works by minimizing what baptism is all about. You make baptism a very insignificant thing. That's mm-hmm. what you have to do to yeah. really make that work. It doesn't matter. And if you, if you try to have dual practice in the local church and, and you say, well, okay, we leave it up to parents, to choose whether they have infant baptism and later confession of faith or whether they have infant dedication and later baptism as confession of faith. Every time a baby's born in the church, well, the question sort of surfaces. So it's, I think it's probably best that we say we need clarity and specificity on that one. However, 
let's take the go back to the women in church office. You can only have one policy at a local church level, but at a denominational level, you, you the the conclusion could be we will accept diversity of practice on that point in our diverse congregations. Now, in our fellowship of churches, we decided, no, we're not going to do that in 2004 after some prolonged yeah. discussion. Part of me still, in, part of me says, boy, I wish, wish we didn't have to divide over that. And yet I realize it's very hard to work together with that difference. Yeah, I mean, is it reasonable for a, a Baptist family uh, who will move from one province to the other into Fellowship Baptist churches, is it reasonable for them to say, I want to be able to recognize Fellowship Baptist churches? Um, there's a brand, there's a doctrinal uh, consistency there. And is this the kind of thing that, in all fairness, they should expect from church to church? Is it that significant? Is it a hill to die on for our movement? Yeah, I mean, that's obviously one of the practical questions, I think, one of the practical matters that led us ultimately to say we really need to have uniformity on that point. Now, for for some people, it was a whole lot more important than that. For me, it's basically about the pragmatics of of functional unity. Mm -hmm. And, And it's what do you do for ordination councils, for example? If if you have egalitarian churches and those that are not, um, whom do you invite to preach? Uh, whom do you invite well, to pastors? What conference? did we do in the days when? Are you dispensational or are you reformed or historic pre-mill? I mean, how did we manage back then with that those issues? Well, that's a. I mean, that, that's that's a question that often arises, and and of course, it is the reality now that if if I relocate from where I live now to another town and I check out the local Fellowship Baptist Church, they might have an eschatological commitment in their local church statement of faith that I can't affirm. Let's face it, locally here, there's at least one fellowship church that I really couldn't be a member in good conscience at right. because they have a yes. defined eschatological commitment. Mm-hmm. But in terms of working together as a denomination, that that difference doesn't affect um, the way we evangelize. It doesn't. It doesn't affect really what the mission of the church in this age is. We'll all get our prophecy charts adjusted by the Lord when He returns. Um, we'll we'll have real uh, uniformity of opinion then, <laughs> uh, when He makes all things clear in the end. But but it doesn't have the same kind of practical effect as, as a question about whether women can serve as elders in the local church. Because that's about who we are as persons, as human beings. And it's about the actual week-to-week experience and practice of the church in a way that a difference about the millennium and the rapture would not be. So we have found we can easily work together with different eschatological systems. It's much harder to work together when the difference is about who's going to do the teaching on Sunday morning, who's going to serve on the elders team and and guide the faith and practice of the church. And and why is that? And why, yeah. 
it's know. it's just but it illustrates the fact that we it's not always easy to decide is is this a hill to die on in the sense that we need uniformity we we all recognize i think that we're still in process uh, we none of us has perfect doctrinal understanding yet and and so we're still trying to read the bible together and learn from one another so we don't have to have absolute uniformity on every question mm-hmm. i mean i i think we've proved for example that we, we don't have to have uniformity on the millennial question to work well together frankly however on a question like the practice of baptism or women in church office, mm-hmm. it is much harder. It's much harder to actually manifest the mm-hmm. unity of God's people with the diversity on points like that, that that relate to actual week-to-week practice in the life of the church. Yeah, and I think um, because we love the Word, we're doctrinal people, we love to be uh, confident, we have, like, have convictions on the things that we believe, a lot of people will say, well, if we're looking for an irreducible minimum of things that we believe, that's kind of a slippery slope. Because then it's j- you get down to, well, Jesus loves you, that's enough to build a unity on. Um, so I think we're going to have to live with this tension for a long time. Uh, but what we would ask for is that we think carefully and deeply about those hills that we are to die on. And then to do it with full conscience and to live with the fallout that comes from that. Indeed. And, and to, to, to be willing to answer people's honest questions. I mean, if people say to you or me here, why do you have only male elders to take that illustration? I think we need, we need to say, hey, any honest question is a legitimate question. And if I can't give you a coherent reason for that choice, well, then I ought to rethink that choice. Yeah. So we need to be open to those conversations. And that's why we think about it. And maybe we've helped some of our listeners um, revisit some of those hills. Uh, there's not an awful lot of them, but they are out there. So until then, I want to thank you for listening to us here on Thinking About It. Until then, I'm Bob McGregor. I'm Stan Fowler. Thanks for listening. Keep on thinking. Thank you.